but this truly is a historic event that is playing out in the midst of another historic event. Um, which one? Take your pick of historic events. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, where they just had an election, you may or may not have heard. Uh, On the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, we'll be talking about Michigan today, unfortunately. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, still the hottest hotspot in the country for the coronavirus. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, even during pandemics, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com. Just trying to hold it together here. I hope you can help. Um, Thank you for joining us today. Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer had this to say at an emergency press conference on Tuesday night. This is unlike anything we've ever seen before. I feel like I've said that a lot over the last number of weeks. But this truly is a historic event that is playing out in the midst of another historic event. And so we need to make sure that we keep our wits about us and work on this together. We're going to need everyone to chip in and to help one another. Keep our wits about us, work on this together. That should be the tagline for the broadcast. <laughs> Just saying. Um, okay. uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. The Governor Whitmer there was referring, of course, to the, uh, well, to the COVID crisis as one of the historic crises. Uh, but the other historic event playing out amid the COVID crisis was unprecedented rainfall threatening and now succeeding at breaching several dams in central Michigan. Yes, even amid a statewide stay-at-home order, Whitmer was forced to issue another order telling some 10,000 Michiganders to evacuate their homes immediately. Pick your disaster. Rapidly rising water overtook dams and forced the evacuation of about 10,000 people in central Michigan, where the governor said one downtown could be, quote, under approximately nine feet of water on Wednesday, according to AP. 
For the second time in less than 24 hours, families living along the Titabawassee River and Connected Lakes in Midland County were ordered to leave their homes. The Na- National Weather Service on Tuesday had, uh, on Tuesday evening, urged anyone near the river to seek higher ground following, quote, catastrophic dam failures at the Edenville Dam, about 140 miles north of Detroit, and the Sanford Dam, about seven miles downriver. Whitmer said downtown Midland, which is a city of about 42,000, about eight miles downstream from the Sanford Dam, faced an especially serious flooding threat. The two dams were, in fact, breached by rain-swollen floodwaters on Tuesday night, forcing the evacuation of thousands and prompting officials to warn of life-threatening danger, according to the New York Times. On Wednesday, the Weather Service said that the Titabawassee River had reached 34.7 feet just above 9 a.m., which is a full 10 feet above flood levels and it was continuing to rise. Bridges across the river were closed. Many roads were underwater, according to Midland County officials. There is no way into our city, said Holly Miller, the executive director of United Way of Midland County. It's hard to know what is going on. The city is apparently completely cut off right now from, I guess, the rest of the world. Yes, it's a really dire situation. And so far, as we go to air, there don't appear to be any fatalities. And then hopefully folks around the area, both upriver and downriver, especially downriver, are paying attention and heeding these evacuation orders and the warnings to not drive through or try to walk through standing water or flooded roads and especially bridges. It's dangerous, not just because of the water itself and the, the you know danger of flooding and, and death from flooding. But this is happening in the middle of the coronavirus crisis when the governor has otherwise ordered everyone to stay at home. Miller of the uh, of the United Way there said that at least one nursing home and one retirement community were among the residents that had been evacuated. So they're being evacuated uh, to shelters where uh, social distancing is not very easy. But that is not the only problem, the only concern. Midland is also the site of one of the nation's most extensive toxic cleanup sites. The area surrounding a sprawling Dow chemical complex that raised concerns of wider environmental fallout from the dam disaster and the flooding. The compound also houses the chemical giant's world headquarters. It's on the banks of the Titabawassee River. You know, just to make the uh, toxins easier to spread. You're joking, but that's true. I know. That's I'm exactly not joking. That's exactly why it's there on the river. So because Dow had dumped dioxins yep. and other toxic chemicals, that's their waste repository was the river right next to them for decades. Yeah. And uh, that's why it's a Superfund uh, toxic cleanup site right now. A Dow spokesman confirmed as of uh, Wednesday morning that floodwaters had, in fact, reached the, the site's outer boundaries, was entering the ponds designed to hold stormwater off. Michelle Hurd Riddick, a member of the environmental group Lone Tree Council, said that given the extent of the expected flooding around Midland, it, quote, seems unlikely that the Dow plant site will be spared. Indeed, the threat of the complex highlights the risks to Superfund and other toxic cleanup sites posed by the effects of climate change, which include more frequent and severe flooding. 
Uh, as Desi uh, noted there, for more than a century, the Dow Complex has manufactured a range of products, including saran wrap, styrofoam, Agent Orange, and mustard gas. Whee! And over time, they released effluent into the water, leading to dioxin contamination stretching more than 50 miles along the Titabawasi and Saginaw Rivers and into Lake Huron. Research has shown that dioxins can damage the immune system, can cause reproductive or development problems, and also cancer. Now, as luck would have it, if you can call it that, meteorology uh, meteorology professor and award-winning climate expert and author Dr. Michael E. Mann of Penn State's Earth System Science Center was already set to join us today to discuss a new study out this week on the precipitous plunge in carbon emissions, precipitous, if perhaps temporary, uh, plunge in carbon emissions amid the coronavirus crisis and what effect, if any, that may have on our ongoing and worsening climate crisis. So we will ask him as well about this disaster in Michigan, uh, along with the one that is befalling tens of millions right now in India and Bangladesh as a record super cyclone is coming ashore in one of the poorest regions on Earth, even as we go to air, uh, and even as they had, uh, they too had been instructed to stay at home amid the COVID crisis. Difficult to do when you've got a super cyclone heading ashore. Dr. Mann will join us shortly to discuss that. But at a news conference on Wednesday, Michigan's governor said that the flooding in Midland was, quote, devastating and, yes, compounded by the coronavirus outbreak. It's hard to believe that we're in the midst of a hundred year crisis, a global pandemic, and that we're also dealing with a a flooding event that looks to be the worst in 500 years. Hard to believe, but not hard to predict. Not at all. And you've talked about this. You've been warning about this actually for some time on on the Green News Report, the idea of multiple disasters striking at once. Yes, this is why the Defense Department calls climate change a threat multiplier that amplifies existing problems and makes them much harder to deal with. And also there have been a couple of studies over the last few years that have examined the resilience capacity of different countries to handle simultaneous disasters. We tend to look at these disasters in isolation as one-time-only things. Oh, look, here's Hurricane Harvey. Look over there. Instead of thinking about what happens if we have multiple disasters all occurring at the same time, how can our uh, emergency response capabilities respond to that? And we're finding out we're not ready for this stuff. Imagine that. Who could have predicted? I mean, and also remember, for decades, literally about the last 20 years, the American Society of Engineers has given given our infrastructure here in the United States a failing grade because we have failed to upgrade it and keep it repaired. And now we're not ready for climate change impacts, which uh, are actually even bigger than what we've had in the past. And of course, amid all of this, uh, with what they're dealing with now in Michigan, yes, uh, two emergencies at the same time. And residents are, by the way, still being encouraged to wear masks and practice social distancing, even if they were uh, forced to evacuate their homes to go to a shelter. They're asking people to go stay with friends and family or uh, come to the shelters. But reminding people, yes, we are still in the midst of COVID-19. But amidst all of this, amidst two different concurrent disasters going on in Michigan, what did the president of the United States do? Well, 
Of course, he showed compassion and concern. <laughs> to the, why are you laughing? What you don't know what I'm going to cover? Maybe I, he's, you're uh, right. Please, uh, yes. please why proceed. Compassion, concern, care to the people of Michigan in this unprecedented hour of need. There, as these two deadly, life-threatening disasters struck at once. Okay, you're right to laugh. He he did nothing of the sort. He actually, on this same day, attacked the state of Michigan. Seriously. And he used false claims to do it. False claims about absentee ballot fraud in the middle of all of this. Donald Trump on Wednesday threatened to withhold federal, federal funding from Michigan and, by the way, Nevada, over their pursuit of mail-in voting amid the COVID crisis. The president said falsely on Twitter at uh, 7.51 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Mind you, this is after two, at least two dams had already burst, had already been overtopped in the state. He tweeted uh, that sending absentee ballots to 7.7 million voters following uh, that uh, well, he said he, he attacked that following it with a warning to Nevada if they pursue voting by mail. He said, quote, breaking Michigan sends absentee ballots to 7.7 million people ahead of primaries and the general election. This was done illegally and without authorization by a rogue secretary of state. <laughs> He said, I will ask to hold up funding to Michigan if they want to go down this voter fraud path. Okay, so uh, where do I start, Des? Uh, Okay, so that tweet includes at least uh, two different lies and ignores the fact that Donald Trump himself voted unlawfully unlawfully this year by absentee ballot in the state of Florida, where he had claimed permanent residency at his Mar-a-Lago club, despite an agreement with Palm Beach that nobody was allowed to keep permanent residency there back when he bought the place in 1993. So I guess he knows a thing or two about voter fraud and apparently how easy it is to commit it by absentee ballot, at least in the state of Florida, at least when you're the president of the United States. But that's not the part that most of the folks criticizing his false tweet uh, noted today. They should have. And I'm still uh, disturbed that we haven't heard about a Florida law enforcement investigation into Donald Trump committing voter fraud in the state of Florida. But that's not what most people focused on. Only me, because, you know. I care. I pay attention to this stuff. Anyway, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson uh, <clears throat> said in response uh, that, uh, well, she said on Tuesday that all of the state's registered voters will be mailed absentee ballot applications. Got that? Not absentee ballots, but applications to request an absentee ballot. For uh, the elections coming up in August and then the general election in November. So not the ab- not sending them absentee ballots themselves as the president lied to his millions of followers, but absentee ballot ap- applications, you know, just like the Republican secretary of state of Georgia, uh, secretary of state in Georgia is doing, though Donald Trump did not threaten to withhold federal funding from Georgia for some strange reason. 
So tweeting in response to Donald Trump on Wednesday, Secretary Benson said, hi, with a little waving uh, (laughs) hand emoji. I also have a name. It's Jocelyn Benson. And we sent applications, not ballots, just like my GOP colleagues in Iowa, Georgia, Nebraska, and West Virginia, she said. Furthermore, Trump said the move uh, was done, uh, quote, illegally and without authorization from a rogue secretary of state. Well, contrary to Trump's claims, uh, none of this is illegal. In fact, Michigan voters passed a constitutional amendment in 2018 that allowed for people to vote absentee without providing a reason. Our friend Josh Douglas, the uh, University of Kentucky election law professor, Uh, and occasional guest of the broadcast, told CNN on Wednesday that he is not aware of anything in Michigan law that forbids the Secretary of State from providing a request form to all voters, adding that certainly nothing in federal law forbids it either. So I know it's just a coincidence that Trump's attacking swing states for their attempts to make voting safer for voters amid a global pandemic, I must have missed his attack on Georgia's Republican secretary of state for sending absentee ballot applications to all of the state's active, whatever that means, active registered voters there. Did he send a threat to Iowa? Did he threaten Nebraska? How about West Virginia? Did I miss that one? How about Utah? They send actual ballots, not applications, but actual ballots to their voters. Did Donald Trump forget to complain there? Republicans in other states have taken similar or even identical steps during the coronavirus pandemic, which Republican National Committee Chair Rona McDaniel, that's Rona Romney McDaniel until she was forced to change that. uh, She said on Monday that she has no problem with absentee uh, applications being sent out. And remember, This is as Michigan has lost more than 5,000 residents from the coronavirus in just the past two months. And as the state is being slammed with breached dams and thousands of evacuees amid a 500-year flood event. This man is a monster. But you probably knew that already. Six hours later... After that tweet, after uh, a whole bunch of people pointed out that it was false in two and at least two separate ways, Trump deleted that original tweet and tweeted an identical new version. But it added the uh, corrected the first false claim by adding the word application. But he repeated the second part about it being illegal and threatening to withhold funding to the state. Will he, by the way, will he withhold federal funding from Florida? For allowing him to vote illegally there? He should. Well, that's right. Everyone's apparently ignoring that little fact. Uh, As to Nevada, another swing state, uh, Trump tweeted, uh, State of Nevada thinks, that's in quotes for some reason, thinks that they can send out illegal vote-by-mail ballots, creating a great voter fraud scenario for the state and the U.S. They can't. If they do, and now in quotes again, I think... Okay. I don't know what these quotes all mean. (laughs) I think I can hold up funds to the state. Sorry, but you must not cheat in elections, he said. Why not? You do. 
Anyway, Nevada is planning an all-vote-by-mail election for its uh, state primary in June, which is uh, also perfectly legal for them to do, as far as I know. And I would add it is far better, far safer than mandating most of the state to vote on 100% unverifiable and disease vector touchscreen systems as they currently do at the polling place. So, uh, yeah, in Nevada, it's especially important that they get vote-by-mail ballots. A a spokesperson for the Joe Biden campaign said in a statement that Trump was, quote, once again misleading the American people for his own political gain, this time inaccurately describing responsible moves by states to make mail ballots available to give folks more safe ways to participate in our democracy. He said, we know the president is familiar with that process, having voted absentee himself uh, two months ago. He continued uh, referring to the president's request for a mail-in ballot so that he could vote absentee in Florida. Trump also voted absentee in the 2018 midterms, the White House said at the time. Spokesperson added that the president's tweets, quote, say a lot more about how he views his own political prospects versus Joe Biden in Michigan and other battleground states than it does anything else. In fact, a recent NBC News Wall Street Journal poll found two thirds of voters want to vote by mail in November and a majority of voters, 58 percent, favor changing election rules permanently nationwide to allow all eligible voters to cast their ballots by mail. Democrats in Congress have been calling for increased federal funding to allow voting by mail in November because of the threat of coronavirus. Trump and his Republican allies, on the other hand, oppose the idea because, as Trump himself admitted on Fox News just a couple of weeks ago after blocking Democrats' attempt to allocate more money to states who need to upgrade their voting systems during the pandemic to keep people safe, Trump told Fox and Friends. The things they had in there were crazy. Uh, they had things, uh, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. Aha, there we go. There's the answer. Every now and again, Donald Trump accidentally does tell the truth. And that's what he's concerned about. Not fraud, but he's concerned that a Rep- uh, uh, Republicans won't ever be elected to office again. Which is, of course, untrue, but might be true in the case of Donald Trump. And uh, speaking of vote by mail, yes, it was actually primary day in Oregon on Tuesday, even though the entire state votes by mail. So really, it's been primary day in Oregon for the last month or so. Yes, they are all sent a ballot in the mail, postage paid. And you'll be shocked to learn uh, some of the results here. Former Vice President Joe Biden appears to have easily won Oregon's Democratic presidential primary, outpacing Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, who both suspended their campaigns earlier in the year, though Bernie Sanders has uh, said he wants to remain on the ballot so that he can collect delegates uh, in order essentially to help his uh, leverage in his uh, Meetings with Joe Biden, who he has uh, endorsed, uh, but they're uh, meetings to try to uh, bring the party together and hopefully, uh, as far as Sanders is concerned, move it to the progressive left a little bit. Joe Biden uh, won with 68 and a half percent of the vote in Oregon. He win he wins uh, 45 delegates, at least as of now. This is with 78 percent reporting. So the numbers could change a little bit. Bernie Sanders won uh, a little bit more than 20 percent of the vote so far. That equates to 
eight delegates. So Joe Biden picks up 45 delegates, Bernie Sanders eight, at least so far. Donald Trump, who ran unopposed, he won the Oregon GOP presidential contest, but he didn't seem to complain about the all-vote-by-mail election there for some reason. Everyone was sent a ballot by their Republican Secretary of State in Oregon, nonetheless. I thought if everyone voted by mail, Republicans could never win another election again. Somehow the Republican uh, Secretary of State did and somehow Donald Trump did. But, oh, that's right. He ran unopposed because he's a coward. Anyway, the mail-in primary was uh, somewhat complicated because of the coronavirus pandemic. Election workers had to practice social distancing in county offices, so staffing levels were down. So it's still going to be a while until we get 100 percent of the totals. Uh, Also, ballots are still allowed to come in after Election Day. In the Republican U.S. Senate primary, Joe Ray Perkins, a longtime QAnon conspiracy theory fan, won the nomination for the U.S. Senate. Seriously, she's a big Q follower for those who know the group or don't know. They're the ones, you know, now leading many of the reopen protests. And uh, they're the ones who still believe in the Pizzagate conspiracy, I believe. They were the ones who propagated that. That uh, Democrats are all secretly pedophiles led by Hillary Clinton running a pedophile ring in the basement of a D.C. pizza shop or something like that. And many other really insane, bizarre conspiracy theories. Says you. Says me. Because you're part of the deep state. (laughs) Anyway, Joe Ray Perkins will now face Democratic incumbent uh, Senator Jeff Merkley this November, the popular Senator Jeff Merkley. Uh, Two Democratic state senators are at this point time virtually tied in their bid to be their party's candidate for secretary of state. That's the second highest state office in Oregon, by the way. If the governor steps down or leaves, the secretary of state becomes the governor. That's how we have the current governor of Oregon. Yep. Kate Brown. Senators uh, Shamia Fagan and Mark Haas, uh, they're virtually tied uh, fighting for that nomination. State Senator Kim Thatcher appeared headed to an easy win on the GOP side of the uh, ballot for the Secretary of State nomination. Uh, There's one local race getting a lot of attention in Portland where voters appear to be approving a a tax on personal income and business profits that would raise two and a half billion dollars over a decade to fight homelessness. That measure was planned before the pandemic reduced the U.S. economy to tatters, as AP describes it. And, uh, well, folks are watching how the city reacts amid the pandemic because it may be instructive for other West Coast cities struggling to address homeless populations, which I expect are only going to uh, become larger but uh, they're looking at the idea of uh, adding a tax and seeing what voters think of that. And in a liberal city like Portland, it looks like they approve. So, uh, yeah, how we all vote, uh, who we vote for and what we vote for all matter. And that is, as I see it, as I've been arguing for some time, the only way out of this mess that the entire nation and, yes, the entire planet is now in. On that score, nothing, in my opinion, is more important for the survival of the nation and the world than removing Donald Trump this November. But let's see what an actual climate scientist uh, thinks about that. Dr. Michael E. Mann joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. You certainly are. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right, as noted, Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer said on Tuesday, quote, This is unlike anything we've seen before. This is truly a historic event that's playing out in the midst of another historic event. I think like everyone, right, it's hard to believe that we're in the midst of a hundred year crisis, a global pandemic, and that we're also dealing with a, a flooding event that looks to be the worst in 500 years. Uh, but you know what? Here's what I know. When the chips are down, the people of Michigan are able to rise up. We are tough. We're smart and we care about each other. And so long as that guides our actions, we're going to get through this and we're going to get through it together. Governor Whitmer was referring to getting through the overnight breaches of several dams in Michigan, requiring the evacuation of thousands of Michiganders in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, which has led to stay at home orders throughout the state and the deaths of more than 5000 people there. But the dam breaches and subsequent flooding after as much as seven inches of rain in less than two days is itself part of another truly historic event. A still worsening climate crisis, which continues to play out across the globe. Coronavirus crisis or not. That crisis, the uh, covid pandemic, which has resulted in an unprecedented global shutdown of businesses and life as we have known it on this planet for as long as all of us have been alive, has offered a unique glimpse, if not a reprieve from the climate crisis itself at what the planet could come to look like if governments across the world and in particular here in the U.S., seriously took on the critical task of lowering the deadly greenhouse gas emissions that have helped fuel the historic flooding playing out right now in Michigan, as well as the super cyclone now slamming into Bangladesh and India as we go to air, threatening some 13 million people in the poorest regions on Earth, all amid a global pandemic. And also what a recent scientific study discussed in one of our recent uh, Green News reports found to be the climate change fueled intensification of hurricanes across the entire planet in recent decades. All of that still continues, even as we're all staying at home, at least those of us who aren't forced to evacuate. On Tuesday, another study was published in the Nature Climate Change Journal, which actually offers a bit of or at least a glimpse of some potential hope, sort of. The wave of shutdowns and shuttered economies caused by the coronavirus pandemic fueled a momentous decline in global greenhouse gas emissions, as The Washington Post reports it, although one that is unlikely to last according to a group of scientists this week. As infections surged in March and April, 
Nations worldwide experienced an abrupt reduction in driving, flying, and industrial output, leading to a startling decline of more than one billion tons of carbon dioxide emissions. That includes a peak drop in daily emissions of 17% in early April, according to the study. For some nations, the falloff was even steeper than that. In all, the drop-off in the first few months of the year, according to the scientists, is likely the greatest cut in recorded history. Scientists have long insisted that the world must scale back carbon pollution significantly and quickly in order to mitigate the worst effects of climate change over the coming decades. Although none have suggested that a deadly global pandemic is the way to do so. Nonetheless, Tuesday's study by the researchers at the Global Carbon Project find that total emissions for 2020 will probably fall between 4 and 7 percent compared with last year. That is an unheard of drop in normal times, so that is good, but it is still considerably less dramatic than the decline during the first few months of the year when economies screech to a halt. The final 2020 figure will depend largely on how rapidly or cautiously people around the world resume ordinary life. The unprecedented situation produced by the coronavirus has nonetheless offered a glimpse at the massive cuts in global emissions year after year that would be required to meet the most ambitious goals set by world leaders when they forged the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. Remember that? Last fall, a U.N. report estimated that global greenhouse gas emissions must begin falling by 7.6 percent each year beginning in 2020 in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change. So as clear as it all has helped to make skies across the country and the world in recent months and as radical a drop in emissions as we have seen, the plummet in greenhouse gas emissions across the globe forced upon us by the current COVID crisis is likely to only be temporary. Scientists say these declines are unlikely to have a long-term impact on the climate once countries return to normal unless, unless governments prioritize investments and infrastructure to reduce harmful emissions. Joining us now is one of those scientists who has been warning about the climate crisis for more years than either he or I likely cares to remember at this point. Dr. Michael E. Mann is the Distinguished Professor and Director of the Earth Systems Science Center at Pennsylvania State University. He's the author of more than 160 peer-reviewed and edited publications, as well as the books The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dire Predictions, Understanding Climate Change, and with political cartoonist Tom Tolles, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy. A very short drive indeed these days. He's also contributed to the U.N.'s Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Work, which earned the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize. Sure, but what has he done lately? Uh, oh, Professor Mann, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, thank you, Brad. Great to be back with you. And thanks for that great summary, by the way, of that recent study. Well, uh, there's a lot that I want to ask you about that study, and because uh, that's what I initially wanted to have you on the show to uh, help us make sense of. But over the past 24 hours, Mike, we've had some pretty major 
disastrous, seemingly related events that I want to get your quick thoughts on. First, in Michigan, several dams have breached, roads are washed out, the city of Midland appears to be cut off from the rest of the state, and as if that is not enough fun, the Dow Chemicals headquarters is located in Midland and could help turn this uh, flooding and dam disaster into an unprecedented toxic disaster at the same time. Is it too early to tie an event like this to our climate crisis? Uh, No, not at all. Uh, This is something that we predicted decades ago. As we warm up the planet, as we warm up the surface of the oceans, we put more moisture into the atmosphere. That means that there is the potential for much larger amounts of rainfall and precipitation. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we can't see worse droughts. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, one of the other effects is to dry out soils and to, uh, and to basically yield more widespread uh, drought uh, around a large part mm-hmm. of the world. But when it does rain, when you do happen to have conditions that are conducive to rainfall, uh, rising motion in the atmosphere, there's more moisture to squeeze out of the atmosphere. And so you get more of these extreme uh, rainfall events. Uh, so this isn't surprise. Uh, this um, isn't rocket science. Uh, it's a basic prediction that we made decades decades ago, and unfortunately, we're seeing that prediction come true. And at the same time, across the world, Super Cyclone Amphan, I think that's the way you pronounce it, is slamming into yeah. India and Bangladesh, threatening some 13 million people in the poorest regions on Earth. So I presume this is yet another example of the rapidly intensifying storms and hurricanes that the researchers at uh, NOAA and the University of Wisconsin-Madison yeah. warned about in their report this week as well? You know, absolutely. Uh, Jim Cosin uh, was the lead author on that report that you're referring to and demonstrated rigorously what we already sort of suspected to be true. Those of us who are familiar with the data sort of know that we're seeing an increase um, in the intensity, in the maximum intensity of tropical storms and hurricanes. But what uh, Jim and his co-workers uh, did um, was to demonstrate very rigorously using satellite data mm-hmm. that this, this basic, again, a basic prediction that yeah. we, we could have made decades ago um, Um, You warm up the oceans, there's more energy to intensify these storms, Um, and and we're seeing that come true. And ironically, as you sort of allude to, that study comes out as we're seeing, uh, you know, what uh, we are fairly certain uh, is the most intense storm that ever formed in the the, the Gulf of Bengal. the, the Sea of Bengal, uh, but uh, fortunately, it, it weakened somewhat. Made it when it made landfall. It didn't landfall um, as you know uh, quite as strong a storm, but mm-hmm. it still you know it drives home uh, another sort of uh, pernicious aspect of climate change is that many of the worst impacts are being felt by those with the least resources in the third world, people who don't have the resilience that we have here in the Western world. And that's one of the inequities of climate change that we're literally watching play out right now. The uh, so Some of the uh, climate deniers over the years have said, well, uh, you know, you scientists have said we'd see more hurricanes. Well, we're not necessarily seeing more hurricanes, but we are seeing more intense hurricanes. Uh, Is that something that uh, years ago was predicted correctly, the intensification? Or or was it the number of hurricanes that uh, uh, you uh, climate folks were so worried about? 
Yeah, and the number of hurricanes, that's more disputed um, uh, simply because the, the data, as you go back in time, aren't uh, quite as good. And so it's difficult to really discern the trends, and you know, especially when you're talking about uh, potentially some very weak storms that mm-hmm. might have formed in the middle of Atlantic where we weren't observing you know, decades ago before we had uh, aircraft re- reconnaissance mm-hmm. and satellites. So we tend to focus a little bit less on the, you know, the number of storms, in part because the data aren't as solid. It doesn't mean that we, we, we won't necessarily see an increase. In fact, um, some of the leading scientists, like my colleague Carrie Emanuel at MIT, uh, do find evidence for both increasing numbers and intensities of, of hurricanes um, uh, around the world and, and here in the Atlantic Basin. But you know what really matters, what really does all the damage, of course, are those monster landfalling storms. Yeah. And we know now that they are increasing intensity in intensity. The worst storms, the most dangerous storms are becoming more dangerous because of uh, human-caused warming. And we're seeing that play out, uh, again, now literally in real time as we speak. As to this uh, study published on Tuesday by the uh, Global Carbon Project in Nature Climate Change detailing the extraordinary, sudden, 17, 17% drop in carbon emissions. Well, uh, first, uh, uh, Dr. Mann, we live in Los Angeles here. We have yeah. seen restrictions on pollution uh, greatly clear the skies over the past yeah. several decades, but nothing like the clear skies we've seen over the past couple of months uh, since uh, businesses have uh, you know, largely locked down. People aren't on the famous uh, L.A. freeways as much anymore. Are you seeing that same sort of visual evidence of cleaner skies where you live in, uh, in Pennsylvania? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think um, we, we see that pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, uh, it, it, again, it's not a big surprise. You stop, uh, you put less pollution into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the atmosphere is going to be cleaner and we're putting less carbon pollution. That's invisible. The CO2, mm-hmm. you know, is invisible pollution, but it has every bit as much uh, a detrimental impact um, in the form of, of climate change. So, yes, what we're seeing, of course, is that um, when you have an economy that's still driven by, uh, you know, the burning of fossil fuels, mm-hmm. dependent on fossil fuels, then economic, you know, an economic downturn is going to lead to, uh, you know, decreased carbon emissions, decreased fossil fuel burning decreased carbon emissions. We'd like to not have to end the global economy in order to bring down carbon <laughs> emissions. Right. So that, that drives home an even more important point. That, that's not what they say yeah. about you on Fox News, uh, Mike. <laughs> right. But, but right. okay, go ahead. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, you know, uh, it's a cabal, you know, the climate <laughs> yes. scientist community is a cabal that wants to end the, you know, economic growth in, in the, you know, if you tune into the denial yeah. sphere of uh, Fox News. And yeah. But in, in reality, you yeah. talk to most of my colleagues and they'll say, no, there's a much better way to do this. We can continue to maintain a healthy economy and solve this problem if we decarbonize our economy. Um, and, you know, again, it's not rocket science. If you move away from fossil fuel burning to renewable energy, mm-hmm. then you can continue to maintain a healthy economy without generating that carbon pollution. And here's the other thing. Individual action alone, you know, not flying and the other act- you know, mm-hmm. activities, uh, other individual behaviors we're all engaged in right now during the lockdown that mm-hmm. are decreasing our own individual carbon footprints. Um, that alone isn't enough. Um, you, you cited the numbers. Um, when we look back at the end of the year, we'll probably see a decrease between 4 and 7% in the carbon emissions for this year from this extreme lockdown and a virtual termination of 
sort of airline travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's flying, and, 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 you know, there's been so much talk in some circles about how, you know, if we can just stop flying, it'll solve the problem. Well, that's not true. Um, what um, the, the decrease in aviation um, at the end of the year, when you look back at the numbers, mm-hmm. is going to account for less than a 1% decrease in our carbon emissions. And so what that means is that individual behavioral change alone isn't going to get us where we need to go. We need structural changes in our economy. We need to decarbonize our economy by moving away from fossil fuel burning to renewable energy. And we need politicians, obviously, who will support those policies. As, as radical, and this is why I wanted to have you on, uh, Mike, because, I, you know, reading this study in one sense, oh, it's great. We've, you know, dropped uh, emissions 17 percent. It may be uh, four, five, six, seven percent overall over the year. But uh, even at that, that means, uh, as they, uh, they, the researchers described it, this forced plunge in greenhouse gas emissions returned carbon pollution only to levels last seen in 2006. That's right. Uh, that is not much of a drop overall. So even if we end up dropping a, yeah. you know, 7% in 2020, we have to somehow do that year after year after year in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change. Uh, it seems yep. impossible. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. does. And I'm it in favor of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's impossible through, you know, individual behavioral change alone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this really drives home. And, you know, in fact, it's a little bit more of a challenge than, than you just uh, stated, because uh, we probably need to decrease our carbon emissions by more like 10% a year, mm-hmm. year after year for the next decade to, um, you know, to have any degree of confidence in uh, avoiding dangerous warming of the planet. Mm-hmm. So we have to accomplish even greater reductions than this lockdown is going to give us uh, for this year, and we have to do it year after year for the next decade and beyond. And what that tells you is that just simply not flying and sort of these, you know, changes in our individual behavior alone aren't going to do it as long as our economy is based on the burning of, uh, of carbon, as long as transportation, as long as goods and services and production and everything that we do is dependent on the burning of fossil fuels, um, then we're going to continue to generate lots of carbon pollution. The only way out of this is, again, to decarbonize our economy, to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. It's already happening, uh-huh. happening around the world. Uh, it's just not happening fast enough to uh, avert dangerous planetary warming. I, I'll tell you, this study actually frightened me uh, more than many I've read. Uh, you know, and I've read a lot of them, you know, warning of the consequences and so forth. But this time we sort of have a have a yardstick this year to sort of measure yeah. uh, the warning by. I mean, the air yeah. is much cleaner, you know, in L.A. than just a few months ago. And but if this is what it takes to meet the goals of scientists like yourself, I'm really worried that it's just literally impossible. You feel confident that decarbonizing the economy, that we have the the technology, if yeah. not yet, apparently the will, but the technology yeah exists to do what needs to be done at this point? Yeah, yeah no, yeah. there's rigorous, you know, academic research that, that provides a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Jacobson of Stanford and his collaborators, um, the Climate Solutions Project, have provided a roadmap for how to do that. Um, it's, it, as you said, it's a matter of political will. Um, it's not a matter of, of physics. Uh, you know, uh, the laws of physics don't say that we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's only 
our policies that are preventing us from doing this. And, you know, if we were to see a, a shift in Washington, D.C. Um, in November uh, towards, you know, politicians who are willing to do what's necessary to act on climate, um, we, we, can, we can do it. Um, you know, there, there, you, last year there was actually some really good news. The global carbon emissions didn't go up at all even though economic activity did uh, continue mm-hmm. to increase. And the International uh, Energy Agency looked at this, and for the first time they were able to say that the reason for that wasn't, say, an economic downturn. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the past where there's an economic downturn and carbon emissions stop going up. Mm-hmm. No, this time they were able to attribute it to increased uh, deployment of, of renewable energy, wind, solar, geothermal around the world. So we know that these structural changes that are underway are starting to flatten the curve. Here's the thing. Flattening it isn't enough. We've got to come down the other side of that curve, and we've got to do it dramatically to avert, again, dangerous warming. Last week, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who is not exactly a lefty tree hugger, uh, said that his country's efforts to slash its emissions remains, quote, undiminished by the coronavirus and the economic turmoil that it has caused. He said, quote, inadvertently, the planet this year will have greatly reduced its CO2 emissions. We need to entrench those gains. He said, I don't want to see us going back to an era of the same type of emissions as we've had in the past. That's encouraging coming from someone like Boris Johnson. German Chancellor Angela Merkel also indicated that she would support uh, uh, green investments as they uh, try to restore their economy in Germany. This obviously seems the time for something like a Green New Deal, which, frankly, we needed before the COVID-caused depression we're now seeing in the economy. Are you sensing that such a package of climate and jobs reform may actually come out of this ultimately, Dr. May? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, the stars may be aligning in, in a way that really allows us to move forward, uh, a number of things potentially coming together. And uh, ironically, you know, sometimes out of tragedy comes opportunity, and that's the case here. Nobody, you know, uh, should be happy about the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the loss of life associated with it. But uh, sometimes... Uh, you you need to look for the opportunities that arise out of a tragedy, and 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 this is an opportunity for our, us to rethink our way of doing things, to to reimagine uh, how we can live sustainably on this planet. And you know, if that happens to align with dramatic political um, shift in Washington D.C. in November, then we could really hit the ground running. But it's not going to happen if we don't have the leadership, um, and that's why it's so important for people to turn out and vote in this next election and to vote on the issue of climate and environmental sustainability. Only if people come out and, 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 and indicate um, you know, uh, decisively that this is the direction they want to see us go Will it happen? And I think you jumped ahead of me there on uh, what I, uh, I have for my sort of last question here. I'm yeah. not I'm not particularly partisan when it comes to issues like this. I will welcome any and all human beings who wish sure. to join this fight. Sure. But uh, here's a softball on the way out the door, Michael Mann. Uh, how important is it from a scientific and climate perspective that Donald Trump not be reelected this year? Yeah, you know, I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, Donald Trump is literally a threat to the planet um, and to all living things on the planet. And we, you know, it appears we may survive uh, a single term of Trump, but uh, I don't think that we do survive in the sense of a continued thriving 
you know, planetary environment, I don't think we can survive two consecutive terms of Donald Trump. Now, you allude to the fact that, um, you know, this shouldn't be partisan, right? And in Europe, you named two, you know, prominent mm-hmm. conservative leaders mm-hmm. um, who actually are on the right side of this issue. Yeah. So uh, we're almost anomalous in the world um, when it comes to, there are some other examples of Western countries where there's similar politics and fossil fuel influence on the politics. But, you know, the rest of the world re- recognizes you know, almost independently of ideology that we need to act on this problem now. Um, you know, so in, in this case, uh, we really only do have one choice. Um, you know, it's clear that Trump and the Republicans who are currently behind him will not act on this problem. In fact, they're taking us in the wrong direction. They're literally dismantling environmental protections, and they've used the pandemic as an excuse to, to even carry that further. So um, there is only one party that um, provides any hope for action on climate, um, the Democratic Party. And if you care about climate, you really have to <laughs> vote Democratic um, all the way down, you know, from the top, uh, from the president all the way down to Dr. Michael E. Mann is the Distinguished Professor and Director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University. I rattled off a couple of his many books at the uh, during the intro there. He also has a new one out for kids as well with Megan Herbert called The Tantrum That Saved the World. Is, is that your newest book, uh, Mike, or because you keep cranking them out every couple of weeks? So uh, it, it is, and that was okay. a joint venture that I really enjoyed. Uh, we, we wrote that a couple of years ago. Um, I have another book that's coming out in January um, called uh, The New Climate War, and it's about much of what we just talked about. Uh, as we move away from outright uh, climate change denial, it's very difficult for politicians to deny that anything's happening when we can see it with our own two eyes. Um, they're moving sort of to softer forms of denial and delay and deflection and other ways of preventing us from uh, taking the needed action. And so that's what the book is about, recognizing that um, and, and, and knowing how to fight that so that we do win this battle for our planet. Thank you for joining that battle and pushing back. Uh, you can find more on Michael Mann at michaelmann.net, and you can and should follow him on the Twitters at Michael E. Mann. Dr. Mike, always great talking to you, my friend. Hope to do it again soon. And me too. Thank Thanks. you. All right, let's take a quick break, and we're back with, oh, we've just got a couple of minutes left. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know what we'll do. We'll find out what's on Desi Doyen's mind. I bet she has some <laughs> thoughts here. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Guys, eh? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, Desi Doyen, 
I got to tell you, uh, reading that report that we were talking about there with uh, Michael Mann, I, I, I was very, very concerned because I thought this was a huge drop in carbon emissions so far this year. Apparently it was. And yet we're going to have to do drops that large year after year after year in order to meet the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is actually a you know, pretty conservative uh, uh, target at this point to, right. to reach. It sounds rather daunting, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> I know. And it is true that the Paris Climate Agreement does not go far enough. It is really just the opening bid in trying to set the world on the path to reducing emissions by setting some initial targets and setting up a framework for how we're going to figure this out as we go along, because this is going to be a multi-generational challenge. What we set up today is going to be what future generations are going to need to build on. And one of the things that I thought was really important about what Dr. Michael Mann said mm -hmm. was that we already do have the roadmap. We already do have all of the tools, technological tools that we need. The only thing we lack right now is the political will, and that is where the vote comes in. And let's think about what this could look like. That is what the Green New Deal is actually about. And you mentioned some of that. Well, I mentioned it because, you know, it seems to me, as I said, it came up, you know, before it was you know presented in uh, introduced last year before well before the covid crisis and now we're actually in a second great depression as many people have have discussed and what got us out of the first one well it was the new deal now we've got a green new deal proposed in place it seems like a no-brainer that this is where we ought to be going at this point exactly and Think about what that could look like. We would need to uh, decarbonize across every single sector of the economy. That means millions of jobs created in decarbonizing buildings, you know, mm -hmm. infrastructure, rebuilding our infrastructure, roads and bridges and uh, water systems. Mm -hmm. Those are jobs as well. Uh, the electric grid. The electric yeah. grid, transportation, shifting to electric cars and cleaning up legacy pollution, dismantling pipelines and other mm -hmm. polluting infrastructure. This is a huge jobs engine it, that we can do if we try. It will put a lot of people to work. My question is, will it cut the emissions as uh, the scientists say we need to do, we must do? And I'll tell you what, if Joe Biden isn't out there uh, leading the parade at this point, calling for a Green New Deal, not only is he missing the boat, I don't know what the hell he's thinking. But... I hope he takes that lead. We I think will he see. will. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, you were going to say you think he will. I'm not so sure. We'll find out. He better. We'll discuss all of that in another uh, thrilling broadcast down the road. Until then, my thanks again to Dr. Michael E. Mann of Penn State's Earth System Science Center. Of course, to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That's a service made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves five days a week. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me as simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.